0: All right, well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here. You are the brave ones. You braved the weather and the cold. And you made it here, and so congratulations, you are tough. And so uh, it is cold out there, it's going to be cold all week, and so hopefully everybody stays warm. Uh, if you know anybody in need this week, I mean, make sure and let us know, we will try to help out in any ways we can, because uh, it's going to be pretty pretty brutal. Uh, as you guys came in, uh, on some of the seats there was this belonging form, uh, it's just a QR code, you don't have to take it with you, you can just scan it. Uh, based on our survey that we did a couple weeks ago, uh, we're trying to best serve our community here, so there's some follow-up questions, it takes about three or four minutes to fill it out, if you'd like to, on ways we can connect and continue to serve you guys as a community. Um, So just take some time and do that if you want. There will be a push notification email going out this week as well. Uh, Coffee truck out in the parking lot, if you feel like going out there and braving the cold to get some coffee, it's delicious. Uh, And then obviously you guys saw that Nathan is back, uh, and so I didn't mean to bury the lead here, but you will be seeing a lot more of him this year. Uh, And so yeah, not every week, not every week. But you will be seeing a lot more of Nathan uh, this year. If you are new, we're so glad you guys are here with us uh, for this first time. Make sure and stop in the lobby um, and grab your welcome gift Uh, for just being here with us this week. All right, so uh, we are in this new series, and we are talking about the newness of the year, the newness of life. Last week, we talked a little bit about the vision of our church as we go into this, not only this new year, but this new season here at Journey. Uh, If you missed last week, I don't always plug this, but I would highly encourage you to go back uh, and just learn a little bit about our history and why we do what we do around here. Uh, Also, if you're into listening to things, we had a new podcast uh, come out. We have Divinely Uninspired. We put those episodes out every two weeks. We have a lot of fun with those episodes. We talk about things we normally wouldn't talk about in church. Uh, and this past episode specifically, we got into some real interesting stuff. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to podcasts, uh, we have a lot of fun with it. So uh, in this series, we've been talking about starting things new. We've talked about the church. Um, but today what we're going to do is talk about, for some of us, uh, the reason that we have a hard time uh, getting to a new place or a new mindset or whatever is because we simply just get stuck. Right? Have you ever been stuck? Um, and we'll talk about in life and in our minds here in a minute, but physically, have you ever been stuck? Like, you ever got your car stuck uh, somewhere, like in a ditch, or maybe you were got in some, some um, dirt that was wet and turned into mud, and you just keep spinning your tires? You ever got your head stuck anywhere? Anybody? You ever done that? Uh, you ever got your hand stuck somewhere. There's a video, I don't normally get into the video world, but there's a video going around, um, I saw it on Twitter, about a guy that got stuck in a flower pot. Have you guys seen this one? Uh, it's pretty funny. And uh, so we got, to, I don't mean to, he got out, so I can laugh about it, but it was pretty funny. Um, but you ever get stuck? Um, and it's, it's hard, like it's his thing, and, and you ever been stuck in traffic? we I know a lot of us, that's like our biggest nightmare. So I want to tell you guys a story um, about the worst time that I've ever been stuck and uh, so, for some of you, especially if you were on that trip, it might bring back some PTSD. So, just bear with me. Uh, years ago, we went on a trip down to Honduras uh, with a mission partner we had at a time. And uh, so, we, we get down there. So, we leave early in the morning from here, fly into Houston. Houston, take a plane to Tegucigapo, which is the uh, city where the airport is in in Honduras. Now, we this is one of the biggest groups we'd ever take. Most of the people on this trip, it was their first time ever being out of the country, much less on a mission trip. Now, let me say... Most mission trips do not go this way, okay? So I have to preface that because you're gonna be like, I will never go on a mission trip after I finish this story. So we are in Tagusagapa and we get down there and what the missionary had not told us was that there had just been an election and there was a lot of civil unrest based on the election results. And so there were protests happening all over the city and all over the country And so we get to the airport. Uh, They couldn't even get two vans. We had like 15 people. We had 15 people in a 15-passenger van with all of our luggage for the week, plus all the supplies that we bring down for the mission trip. So from the start, we're already uncomfortable. We're kind of jammed into this van. Again, most of these people, first time in the country. Our missionary had decided because he knew that there were some of these things going on, which meant there were road closures, he was not going to ride in the van with us. He was going to ride on his motorcycle ahead of us so that if he ever, because they whipping it out of traffic in their motorcycle, That way, if he saw a roadblock coming up, he could go ahead, find an alternate route, come back to us, and teach us this alternate route. Sounds great, okay? Problem is, um, we are 15 gringos, as they call us, white people, in a van with a guy that does not speak a lick of English. The only person we know in the entire country is on a motorcycle in front of us. All right, so you're going to about see where this is going to go. And so we eventually get to this place where we start to have some issue with the protests. And so we're in this little small town right outside of Tegucigapa. And so we're in the van. It's getting late at night. None of us have eaten since 11 o'clock that morning in the Houston airport. It's getting late at night. It's dark, all of this stuff. And we go into the city. The driver starts taking back roads to try to bypass the protest. And we get stuck. When I say stuck, I mean stuck. We, we hit this roadblock where there is nothing but cars in front of us, nothing but cars behind us, and people all around us. I mean, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people just walking in the street, carrying torches, uh, doing all kinds of stuff. They're burning tires in the street. They're chanting things. So we're sitting here in this van, and we're we're stuck. I mean, you can't, you can't go forward. You can't go back. I mean, it's bumper to bumper. It was one of the most uncomfortable feelings ever. Finally, our missionary, the only person again that we know in the entire country, um, eventually makes his way back to us and eventually convinces these people, I don't know how he does it, to back out enough so that we could back our van out enough to make this U-turn in an alley that I'm sitting there going, there's no way we're making this turn. We eventually did after Austin Power is in it for like 45 minutes, we eventually <laughs> made the thing. Now, here's where it gets interesting. So remember, we're stuck, all this stuff. The last thing any of us see is that three cars behind us, one of the drivers was very upset with everything going on. The last thing that we see is our missionary, who's on a motorcycle, getting into an altercation with this guy. All we see is them two going at it, and then our van makes the turn and we're gone. Now, important part of this story the driver of our van has no idea where he's going, couldn't even guess. We can't speak any Spanish. He doesn't speak any English. And so we're at this thing. Eventually, after driving around aimlessly, about 2 a.m., he takes us to a hotel. We go to the hotel. They have no rooms. All right? We're in a foreign country. We don't speak any Spanish. The people we're talking to barely speak any English. We have no idea where our missionary is. It's 2 a.m. We haven't slept since 11 a.m. Uh, or 8 since 11. We haven't slept. We are officially Stuck now the story ends up okay, and we eventually find our missionary at about four a m eventually gets us to where we 're supposed to go. But I remember in that moment just feeling this like hopelessness, <laughs> like everybody on the trip is looking at me, and i 'm like. They don't teach you this in seminary. Like, it's not like there's a (laughs) class on, like, you get stuck in a foreign country and you don't know anybody in the country. Um, And eventually, like I said, things worked out, although it did not set the course of that mission trip very well. But uh, so it was this interesting thing. And honestly, it's just the worst feeling when you're stuck and it feels like it's out of your control, right? Like, you just don't know what to do. Now, some of us, right, that that idea just brings anxiety to us, like the idea of being stuck. Or if you've been stuck somewhere, maybe hopefully not as stuck as we were that night, this feeling like you don't have any control over the situation, and it can bring all of these feelings. Now, those are physical ways in which we've been stuck. But here's the question Have you ever felt stuck in life? Like you're just in a season or a moment where you're just stuck. And it's like you want things to get better, you want things to change. But you're just stuck. Maybe you relate to the hit song by U2, stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. And in it, the lyrics are, you've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. Now you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Maybe for some of us, we felt like that before or we feel like it right now. I've been there. I've been in moments and seasons in life where I've been stuck. Now, there's a story that we've we've brought up before about Jesus, and he asked this interesting question to this to this man. And so, the the kind of the background of this story is Jesus is walking around doing his Jesus stuff, and and so he eventually gets to this place, and he gets to this this pool, this idea, this this thing. And the idea behind the pool was that at some point in the day, the water will start to bubble. And they believe it's an angel that's come down and maybe dipped their wing or touched the pool. And the first person to get into this pool of water can be healed. And so Jesus encounters this man that for 38 years has been sitting by this pool, hoping that he can be the person to get in. Now, he's a paralyzed man, which means every day he's got to have people bring him there and take him back and all this stuff. And so Jesus walks up to this guy, 38 years, paralyzed, laying beside this pool. And he asks this question, right? And we've talked about the irony of this question. He looks at the guy and he says, do you want to get well? I mean, yeah, like 38 years, like I'm tired of this. I'm done with this. I come every day. And I remember the first time I I read this thinking to myself, like, this seems so insensitive of Jesus to ask this question. Do you actually want to get well? And so it seems insensitive at first, but the reality is I'm beginning to understand why maybe Jesus asked this question. See, the truth is, as crazy as it seems, I'm not sure that we always want to get better. I'm not always sure we want to get well. Now, we say we do, and nobody would say, like, no, I don't want to get better. I don't want to be better. We say those things And yet for so many of us, we don't take the mental and physical steps to actually get into a better position. We don't actually incorporate the habits that would get us into a healthier place. And we don't distance ourselves from the habits that seem to be holding us back. We don't distance ourselves from the situations and the people and the circumstances that have made us feel maybe stuck to begin with. And so we could hate a bad habit, Or we can be sick and tired of the situations in our lives. But do you actually want to get better? Do you actually want to move into a new direction? Do you want to get better? And the question is, what steps have you taken? How much time and energy are you dedicating to it? And some of us may say, like, we're even praying earnestly for something to change. But going back to the first week of this series, you know, have you considered the cost of what it may actually take to get yourself in a better position. Are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to step into the new even if it's difficult? And so do you want to get well? Do you want to be unstuck from where you are right now? Now, for those of us who put our faith in Christ, there, there's a lot um, to think about here, and a lot we're going to cover today. And if you're new to faith, or you're still considering this, we're glad you're here. But but maybe for all of us, some of the questions we're exploring when we think about these things is we say, can I actually change? Maybe just like this guy for 38 years, this has just become the norm, and so you're really wrestling with, can you actually change? Can I actually get well? Paul, he he talks a lot about these ideas and stuff throughout his letters that he writes to these early Christians. But in one particular, he kind of embraces this idea that I want to start with today. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, he says this as he's writing this letter to this early church and these early Christians. He says this, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And so maybe that's some of us, right? Maybe we think of Jesus and we think of what Jesus did and we think he was a great teacher and he's obviously done a lot of things that have you know, impacted history and the way we see the world, but, but we just, from a human point of view, it's just what it was. And then Paul says, no, how differently we know him now. So, so what he's saying is like, no, it's not just this viewpoint of Jesus that we once had. Like we understand who he is now. We've, we've embraced it. We've accepted it. And if that's true, that we know him differently now, he says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And, and so it's this kind of loaded kind of situation that there is kind of idea that, that Paul, so first of all, he says, we, once we've changed the way that we view Christ, it also changes the way we view ourselves. Because once we've embraced who Jesus was and what he came to do, it changes not only who we are, the way we see him, but it's this reality that anyone who's in Christ has become new. There's new possibilities, there's new hopes. And part of this is just a gift Part of this is it doesn't even really require that much effort on your part, that God is reconciling things, including you and your life and your past and your mistakes. He's reconciling things to Him. So there's some big ideas that come from this. And so it's this reality that Paul believes and teaches over and over again there's this new life, this new creation. We find ourselves in Christ Jesus. But. I think for some of us, the problem is we want that, but we're still holding on to some other things. We're not distancing ourselves from some of the stuff that have got us stuck or in the bad place to begin with. For example, maybe here's some things. Um, Maybe some of us, and we talk about this a lot because it's more and more reality in our culture and in our lives, some of us are plagued with worry and anxiety, and it cripples us, and it's holding us back, and we feel stuck because of it. But here's the problem. You may actually hate or say you hate the anxiety and the worry in you, but at the same time, you are afraid to let go of it, because if you let go of it, then you won't be safe or prepared for all of the things that could happen, right? It's kind of become like this defense. And and so I know that it cripples me in relationships and in life and in all of these things, but I also don't want to let go of it. Or maybe for some of us, when we think about this newness in Christ, like, We want to forgive ourselves for the things that we've done, but we also kind of hold on to these negative things in our life because we feel like maybe God wants us to experience a little bit of guilt because we know who we are and what we've done. Or maybe it's not about us. We we want other people to experience guilt, right? And so we believe we want this inner peace for ourselves and for other people, but we just keep holding on to these things Whatever it is that gets us in these stuck places. In Romans 7, Paul has this great discourse where he talks about this idea. I mean, we don't have time to read the whole chapter. We've covered parts of it before. But he talks about this idea of like what you want to be and what you actually are and this battle within these worlds. It's like within this mental state, within our minds, within our bodies. And he says this in Romans 7, 23. He says, but there is another power within me. So he wants to embrace all that Jesus has to offer, but there's this other power within him, and it is at war With his mind. It's like this turmoil he experiences in his thoughts. Like he wants to change. He wants to embrace the new. But there's this war. There's this battle. And for him, he understands that it kind of starts in our brain, in our thoughts. See, perhaps the man by the fountain that day, when Jesus asked him that question, he'd been paralyzed so long... That if you ask him, do you want to get well, of course he's going to say yes. Everybody's going to say yes. But maybe part of it also is he got accustomed to that life. He got accustomed to it. He didn't believe there was a better possibility. And maybe some of his thoughts had put him in that place, which I know sounds crazy. But how many of us have gotten stuck in our thoughts? Stuck in what we dwell on? Stuck in what we've got accustomed to that we've now made normal? even though it's not. So what do we do in this? And and, and Paul tells us a lot, and there's a lot we have to say about it. One of the most famous verses that deals with this is Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, here's what Paul says. He says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, when we first read these verses, let's put it back up just for a second. Sorry, in the back. Um, what, what's interesting is we read that, and you've probably heard this before if you've grown up in church or been around church, and, and the problem with this verse is, is this. Okay, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We've said this a million times. Listen, it doesn't take some theological framework to understand that the way it's out going on about there isn't working. It's not, it's not healthy. It's not good. Okay, and so then Paul says, so all you have to do is let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Okay, so let me ask the million-dollar question. Ready? Are you guys ready? How easy is it to change the way you think? It's not, is it? It's difficult. It can be hard. So here's some questions. How do we stop repeating the negative patterns in our lives and in our minds and focus on living out more positive patterns? How do we do that? How do we speak truth into our pain so that we can learn to live in peace? How do we take off the old self and put on the new self? Herein lies the challenge. Now, what's fascinating about all of this is 2,000 years ago, Paul writes these verses about simply allowing God to come into your life and embracing the newness and changing the way that you think. Now, it sounds simple and all of us just agreed it's very difficult though. Dr. Caroline Leaf, if you haven't studied any of her work, is pretty fascinating. She's a Christian, but she's also a neuroscientist that understands and studies the brain and cognitive behaviors. Now, what she did in her research was she, she, she spends all of her time, effort, and energy kind of studying the human brain and the way we think and the way we behave. Now, in her research, one of the things that she found was that she explains it like this, that when you have negative thoughts or negative ideas, when you actually scan the brain as we're thinking those things, they show up differently than the other thoughts that we're having. She says it even looks almost like dark-colored branches in your brain. And if you don't believe this, you, you can look into this. There's all kinds of fascinating pictures and videos. Of this. Like as they scan the brain, as these negative things come into our mind, these things that hurt us and, and cause us pain, it actually looks different in the brain. At the same time, as we're thinking about positive things, things that make us happy, things that, that, that make us bring us joy, they come across as light-colored branches forming within the brain. Even through the rises of our subconscious, she goes on to explain, we have the choice to continue to supporting or challenging our beliefs. And so there's these dark kind of things, there's these light kind of things that they can see in our brain. And, and here's what she understands, and if you've never understood understand neuroscience, which I'm not saying I do, but I've read a little bit about it, um, it's called plasticity of the brain. And what's fascinating is our brains can actually be reshaped and remolded in the way that we think. It can actually be transformed just by combating the negative thoughts and encouraging more of the positive thoughts. Which, again, sounds simple because you're all like, well, how do I do that? Okay. Well, here's what she says. Caroline Leaf, this is a great quote. She says this, you cannot set back and wait to be happy and healthy and have a great thought life. You have to make the choice to make this happen. It's a choice. What thoughts are you allowing to dominate your brain, your mind? You have to, again, here it is, choose to get rid of the toxic and back in alignment with God. You can be overwhelmed by every small setback in your life, which some of us, that's where we are at, that's how we get stuck, or you can be energized by the possibilities they bring. And then this is, this is my favorite quote of hers, Ready? Right? Here's what she says. The process of thinking and choosing is the most powerful thing in the universe after God, and it is a phenomenal gift from God to be treasured and used properly. That's a great quote. The process of thinking and choosing. So here's some questions. What do you think about? What do you dwell on? What do you keep telling yourself can't actually change? What do you keep convincing yourself of that it's just always going to be the way that it's always been? What are the thoughts that maybe, as the scriptures say, you need to hold captive, that are putting you in these places and in this mindset to where you're just stuck. Now, this isn't something new. Um, this has been going on forever. Um, so the, there's this Old Testament that we, we talk about, and it's kind of the beginning stories, and we've engaged this. Now, in the Old Testament, there's all these prophets, and these prophets are, are men that, that basically have been tasked by God to communicate a message to God's people. One of these prophets is a prophet named Amos, all right? Now, I don't know if you guys have ever even read that book. How many of you guys think you knew that was a book in the Bible, right? Okay, so it's this really small book. um, But in this kind of cycle that we see, what's going on in God's people is they find themselves in this cyclical pattern. They keep doing And thinking the same things over and over again and find themselves continuing to do this. And so there's this cyclical pattern of they want things to be better, they want things to change, but then they keep doing the same things over and over again, right? Again, none of this is new. And so they keep having the same thoughts and then acting upon those same thoughts, and it keeps digging them in this cycle of being stuck and not being able to move forward. Now, in this one particular part of the story the prophet is speaking to them on behalf of God. And here's what it says in in chapter 5, verse 5. It says, seek me and live. So seek me, like change the way you think, seek me and live. And he says this, do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gagal, and do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Now, before we go past this, here's why you have to understand this is important, because you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what any of that's talking about. There's beer in that one word. I like that one. The rest of them, I don't know, right? Okay, so here, here's, here's what's going on, okay? So Bethel, Gagal, and Beersheba are all places that played a significant role in Israel's journey. So these are things from the past, Okay. And so Bethel is the place where Jacob had this amazing dream, and he builds an altar there, and there's a promise that's made between him and God, and these people know these stories. Gagal is the place where the Israelites camped on the very first night that they get to enter the promised land that God has promised them. Beersheba is where Abraham made a tree with Abimelech and called on the Lord, and his son Isaac eventually digs a well there and builds an altar there. So here's the thinking. All three of these places held significance in Israel's history. But all three of those places are from the past. And all three of those places have changed at this point in Israel's history. They no longer are what they once were. And so what happens is Israel keeps wanting to go back and relive the same thing over and over again and just focus on the past, not realizing, listen, you keep getting yourself in this pattern. And by the way, those things that you're holding on to, they aren't what you think they are. So don't keep going back and just retelling the stories of Bethel, Gagal, and Journey or Beersheba. You need to embrace what God's doing now. Don't live in just simply the past. At some point, for some of us, the temptation is to live only out of memory. And so we just get stuck. And some of the memories are good. I mean, some of those things that happened there were amazing. But there were also some things there that weren't that great. What if God is really just wanting to pull these people and pull us into something new, but we just keep thinking the same things over and over again? This goes on in Isaiah chapter 43. There's an interesting part where, again, these people have found themselves in this cyclical thing. And so here's what the prophet says. He says this, this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses. Now, what he's referring to, if you don't know, um, is the Exodus story, which is like the biggest moment in Israel's history, surrounded by one guy named Moses and him freeing the people and God freeing the people through him. So he's kind of retelling the story. He says, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there Never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, if you're confused as to why God has to tell them these things, it's simply this. At this point, God has to remind them that Egypt isn't a thing anymore. You're not being chased by the chariots. That's done. Because, see, what these people keep trying to do is they keep trying to fight ancient battles. You ever fought an ancient battle? It was a long time ago. Happened a long time ago. And for some of us, the reason we're stuck is because we can't step into the future. Because we're too busy like these people were fighting ancient battles that have long been settled see what he says? I am making a way in the wilderness. The wilderness for these people represented a time when they're stuck. They're literally just traveling around. They're stuck in a moment. And God's like, no, I'm making a new way. He says, I'm making streams in the wasteland. That waste, that, that thing, listen, I, there's something new. And he wants to help us get unstuck. I think one of the most common things that I see for most people that they struggle with is carrying the weight Of all the yesterdays. Some individuals are internally bound by the blunders of the past. We're still fighting ancient battles. And the message of grace is simply this that your history does not have to determine your destiny, your failures do not have to frame your future. It's not going to come up on the screen, but one of my favorite verses in Philippians chapter 3, and Paul says this forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is important to understand. Do you know why Paul had to say that? Because dude had a past. Just like you have a past, and I have a past. You can continue to fight ancient battles, but Paul's like, no, I want to press forward. I want to move forward. After he has this encounter with Jesus, he had to let go of the shame and the condemnation. He had to realize and believe that he could be a new creation. He had to understand that he is not a sum of his past. No, he is the infinite possibility of a future of what God can do. Later, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it's this fascinating again book that you should read. You should read your Bibles. If you hear nothing else, just hear that from the sermon. And and so Paul makes a list of all the sins. Now, when he makes this list in First Corinthians chapter six, I'm not going to read it. But but here's what you know: it's like the big ones. Like it's like the ones that are like the hot button issues, like the cultural things. Like it, this isn't new. Any of this. Now, one of the things that's fascinating to me is most of the times that Paul makes a list of sins, and these are things that he wants them to address culturally and personally to deal with. And so what's interesting is it would be really easy to look at this list and pick out two or three, because you will, and be like, exactly. The problem is, is almost every time the New Testament makes a list of sins, guess what? You're going to find yourself somewhere in that list. So be careful. And so Paul makes this list of all of these sins, and you can find yourself somewhere in there. And then he says this, and this is what some of you were. Like, you, you, you were that. You were stuck there. It was the way you viewed yourself. It was the way you viewed your identity in the world. You were there. There. But then you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you were made new. One of the things I often have to end up telling people over and over again in counseling, and so if you ever do counseling, you'll eventually hear me say this if we get to this point, is I remind people, and I really do believe this, do you know that it doesn't have to be the way it's always been? Like, you actually can change. Your future can look different. Now, it's not going to be easy, and there will be some difficulty there, but you can actually change the way that you think, the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself. And for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, it's like the scriptures like pleading with us to actually believe this, that you're new. You don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to make those choices anymore. That God wants to set you free. Now, for some of you, here's what this means, and we're going to talk more about steps next week. Because I know right now, oh, I meant to tell you, this is a two part sermon. So if we end today, and you're like, "Well, that ended abruptly," yeah, come back next week. So. uh Uh, so here's the thing. We're talking about more practical examples next week. Um, But for some of you, just so we can get to where we're going, for some of us, uh, you need to get a life clear of the people, habits, and thoughts that are holding you captive to the past. You need to put some distance between maybe some people, thoughts, and habits that are keeping you stuck. For some of you, you need to put some distance between some people, habits, and thoughts that are making you still fight ancient battles. There's this analogy that Jesus gives us, and I I never understood it. And like in church, like as a kid, they tried to like, you would read it, and you'd be like, explain that to me, and they'd be like, we don't talk about that. But there's this interesting analogy that Jesus gives us, and and so it revolves around wine, which is why they didn't talk about it when I was a kid. And so Jesus has this thing, and he simply just comes out and says one day, he says, you can't put new wine in an old wine skin. And I remember being like, What? Now, in their culture, um, wine was a very staple part of their community and their culture, and, but what they would do is they would take this wine, this new wine, and they would put it literally in a wine skin, and it's literally called a wineskin skin because it was made out of skin, all right? And so what happens is, if you don't know, when you put new wine into a wineskin, skin, what happens is that wine continues to ferment, and there's gases, so it starts to expand. Now, the new wine skin has the ability to expand along with it as it's growing, But an old wineskin has already been stretched to the point to where now all of a sudden you're going to have some problems if you put this new wineskin in there. And so eventually it explodes, it destroys the wine and the wineskin, and everybody loses at the end of the day. Nobody gets their wine, okay? And so here was the point of the story. If you keep trying to put something new in something old, it's not going to work. Some of us have come to faith in Christ, and we're trying to take this new identity force it into an old thing and Jesus is like it doesn't work Jesus looks at this guy that's been laying there for 38 years and he says do you want to get well and some of us I don't know how we would answer that so where's your mind what do you think about I want to end with this verse, and then it's just going to end. So again, come back next week. Um, And and so there's this great verse that Paul reminds us of as he writes this letter to these early Christians in in the church of Philippi. And I love this because it challenges us and what we've learned today. And here's what he says. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. The problem for a lot of us is we keep filling our mind with things that don't fit into any of those categories. And so, no wonder we get stuck sometimes. Here in a second, you're going to sing some songs led by Nathan, who's an amazing worship leader, right? Think about these words that you're singing. Take captive these thoughts. Allow these to be the things that you dwell on. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for who you are. And God, as we go into this next part of the service, God, I just pray that we're able to open freely um, to allow these words and these songs and these lyrics to to penetrate our mind and allow us to, to hopefully be able to dwell on these things and to be able to focus on these things. And not just today, but as we leave God, allow us to be people that focus on what's true and right and pure and lovely. Help us to understand that we really are a new creation. God, help us to understand that it doesn't always have to be the way that it's always been. We don't have to fight those ancient battles because you've already fought them, you've won. You are reconciling all things to you, including us. And we just have to step into that future. So God, just help us, give us the strength, because it's not always going to be easy, but give us the strength and the wisdom and the peace as we do it. We love you and we thank you. In your sons' name we pray. Amen.